Oma Ganatim Randasya, Gananjana Shalakaya, Chakshura Militam Yena, Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So we are reading the last chapter of the seventh canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Instructions for civilized human beings. And Narada has answered Yudhisthira's questions and, and talked about Varnashram, he's talked about Brahmacharya, he's talked about Vanaprastas, uh, we'll, we'll hear some more about Krihastas, and you're going to hear about sannyasis also very soon. <clears throat> so we're on text number 40 right now. Okay, and we're going to, uh, we're studying text 41. <clears throat> for the homework. The human form of body is meant for understanding the self and the supreme self, the supreme personality of Godhead, both of whom are transcendentally situated. If both of them can be understood when one is purified by advanced knowledge, for what reason and for whom does a foolish, greedy person maintain the body for sense gratification? 41. Transcendentalists who are advanced in knowledge compare the body, which is made by the order of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, to a chariot. The senses are like the horses. Okay, so the uh, <clears throat> so the, the person is the chariot. The senses are like the horses. The mind, the master of the senses, is like the reins on the horses. The objects of the senses are the destinations where, you know, the senses want to engage with the sense objects. Intelligence is a chariot driver and consciousness which spreads throughout the body is the cause of bondage in this material world. Hmm. And Srila Prabhupada writes, for a bewildered person in the materialistic way of life, the body, the mind, and the senses which are engaged in sense gratification are the cause of bondage to repeated birth, death, old age, and disease. But for one who is advanced in spiritual knowledge, the same body, senses, and mind are the cause of liberation. This is confirmed in the Kata Upanishad as follows, Atmanam rahinam vidhi shariram rattam evacha budhim tu saratim vidhi mana pragraham evacha indri riyani Hayan Ahur Vishayams Teshu Kochara Kocharan Sodvana Param Apnoti Tadvishnu Paramam Padam. Let me just see if there's anyone waiting. Yep, there are two. Okay. Welcome, welcome, Hare Krishna. And then Prabhupada writes: the soul is the occupant of the chariot of the body, of which the driver is the intelligence. The mind is the determination to reach the destination. The senses are the horses and the sense objects are also included in that activity. So the mind fixes the, if the destination is the sense objects, the mind pushes the senses towards the sense objects. Thus one can reach the destination Vishnu who is paramam padam, the supreme goal of life. In conditioned life, the consciousness in the body is, cause, is the cause of bondage. 
But the same consciousness when transformed into Krishna consciousness becomes the cause of one's returning home back to Godhead. The human body, therefore, is used in two ways, for going to the darkest regions of ignorance or for going back forward, back home, back to Godhead. <clears throat> um, and, of course, we, we, we know that from other parts of the Gita where Krishna says the Udared Atman Atmanam Atmanam Avasadaya Atmaivahi Atmanam Bandur Atmaivaviparatmana that the mind can be your friend or your enemy. And um, I would like to recommend something to you uh, if you get a chance. I was even thinking of playing this <laughs> during the class today. Um, I decided against it, but I'll put it in the chat. This is a wonderful lecture by His Holiness Bhakti Vigyan Maharaj. And he talks about the five states of the mind and in connection with chanting Hare Krishna. It's from, uh, he, he's borrowing from the Pantanjali Yoga Sutras and relating them to Bhakti. Um, but uh, very, very well done. Uh, very good. He's a, he's a brilliant person. There's like three minutes that are a little hard to hear about halfway through. But besides that, it's, um, it's, 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 it's very, very, it's great. Yeah. <clears throat> and so there he talks about these different stages of the mind. And that talks about the mind when it gets sleepy, talks about the mind when it gets distracted. And he talks about how... Um, he talks about the same thing we've been talking about a long time cell phones and computers they facilitate that agitation of the mind to always be going here and there and here and there um, but that one has to rise to the level of sattva Henry and I were talking about this yesterday rise to the level of sattva and then when the mind is actually peaceful um, it can really absorb transcendental knowledge and it can really hear Krishna's holy name so it's connected to what we're hearing in this for in this purport that the mind is uh, is is the reins and the horses uh, the reins are con connected to the horses and the horses are running after sense gratification or running after Krishna. And then in the last paragraph of the purport, the advice of experienced transcendentalists, therefore is that the body be fully engaged in achieving the ultimate goal of life. Swarta Kutim. The real interest or goal of life is to return home back to Godhead. To enable one to fulfill this purpose, there are so many Vedic literatures, including Vedanta Sutra, the Upanishads, Bhagavad Gita, Mahabharata, and the Ramayana. One should take lessons from these Vedic literatures and learn how to practice Nivritti Marga. Nivritti Marga, if you may remember, is the path of renunciation rather than the path of enjoyment. Then one's life will be perfect. The body is important as long as it has consciousness. Without consciousness, the body is merely a lump of matter. Therefore, to return home back to Godhead, one must change his consciousness from material consciousness to Krishna consciousness. One's consciousness is the cause of material bondage, but if this consciousness is purified by bhakti yoga, 
one can then understand the falsity of upad uh, of material bondage. Oh, I'm sorry, falsity of his upadi. Remember upadi that means designations. His designations as Indian, American, Hindu, Muslim, Christian, and so on. <clears throat> One must forget these designations and use this consciousness only for the service of Krishna. Therefore, if one takes advantage of the Krishna consciousness movement, his life is certainly successful. So, you know, uh, so one must forget these designations and use this consciousness only for the service of Krishna. So to replace our designation, our upadi, with Nitya Krishna Das. And again, you know, that in, in practical terms, we, we, we deal with our upadis. You know, we, we, you know the, the one I've said so many times is we don't, you know, we, we distinguish which bathroom we use when we're in the airport. We, you know, the one that connects to our gender, we can't just say, well, I'm not my upadis. So it doesn't matter. Um, yet our upadis um, are temporary. And if we're, you know, if we live a long life and we're 50 years old right now, then we have this upadi for 40 more years, these different upadis. Or, you know, um, if we're working as a um, professional in this profession or that profession, we have that upadi at least until we retire. And then that upadi is gone, right? Um, <clears throat> so it's not a question of just, I, I'm not this upadi, I'm not this upadi. It's, it's filling our heart and our consciousness with the actual designation. Um, which Prabhupada writes in the second to last sentence, one must forget these designations and use this consciousness only for the service of Krishna. <clears throat> because a private, pri prior sentence said, the body is important as long as it has consciousness. <clears throat> Without consciousness, the body is merely a lump of matter. Mm, strong words. Uh, oops, there's more people waiting. Darn it. Let's see, so I guess hopefully they're joining. Welcome. Okay. Um, welcome, Man. All right, so there um, are questions, comments on this verse and purport. What do you think are easy upadis to give up or easier and harder ones to give up? Um, uh... Can't hear you. Uh, you're on mute, Andy. Oh, I must have been on uh, unmute the whole time. Uh, <clears throat> this kind of wraps around to the whole discussion. But I think the idea of this is something I have a big difficulty with. The idea of being human. It's always thought of as being privileged. Uh -huh. But I think that's the worst constraint or you potty. That you have to just even let go of that. Yeah. Okay. Just forget about the fact that you're a person. You are anyway. You're a person, but there's a difference between being a person and being a human, right? Uh, well, I'm using person in the sense of being that has that human consciousness. Oh, okay. Okay. So we wonder what the, also persons. Yeah, we wonder what the consciousness of other animals like dolphins is, but right. we, 
even though we can't define it, we all kind of know what our consciousness is like anyway. Right. right. But I think you have to let go of that and just, I can't go any farther than that, but no. somehow let go of that and focus on Krishna because you can, not because you're privileged, but because just like an animal would take advantage of any skill or ability it had, right, to survive, our level of survival is higher on a higher plane. And if we really want to survive in the really most successful way, we just have to let go of this, of anything we can let go of and just focus <laughs> on Krishna. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, I, I see a point. Human, being a human is an upadi. Uh, we've been in so many other species of life, according to what the Shastras tells us. Um, we are, as you, as you're well aware, and I think you brought it up before, we are admo admonished is the right word. We are um, encouraged uh, or directed even that the human form of life is a very special form because, you know, we can have a class like this. We don't have our pets joining us for um, Bhagavatam class. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to totally relate to it. You just have to use it properly. So I like, I like that point. Thank you. Any other points on Upadis? They're, they go pretty deep. Yes, they do. Yeah. You know, Takor says, you know, you, you, you come out of the womb of your mother and immediately you you have these Upadis just, just, um, totally imposed upon you. This is your mother. This is your father. Uh, a little later, this is the country you're born into. This is the language that you will speak. Um, and then a little later, this is the socioeconomic background that you're from. It might even be this is the political views you should have. Um, you know, so many, so many. All of the ones you just mentioned were uh gradually as you as i continued to think about your question going to bubble up um but in addition to that i uh, is there i guess you can't label an upadi for thinking yourself the controller or i don't know can you um i would that, think that's that's the most the most prominent one for me to get to to move towards giving up i have to think about it my my initial reaction is that our desire to be the enjoyer and the controller creates the upadis right? because we we those are kind of ex existential um faults of being in the material world but thinking ourselves the enjoyer and the controller and then when we have that we we enter material consciousness and that material consciousness manifests uh, to a large extent in upadis, not exclusively, but that know. makes sense. Okay, anyone else? All right. Your question up, Abu. Yes. This is Mandy Moki, and I'm, I apologize that the name appeared. It's a little bit weird. I just <laughs> the Zoom uh, tricks me today. No problem. Can you hear me well? Yes, we can hear you very well. Okay, thank you. We know, um, how do you pronounce YW? It's, Y is kind of the initial of oh, my uh, 
spelling of my Chinese name. And okay. W is the initial of the spelling of my Chinese last name. Okay. Nanimuki is easier. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm just thinking about this mind and uh, the impressions that are left over in the mind. I'm considering that when we are in contact with external objects, it is often not that specific objects that triggers the happiness and the stress we experience. It's Rather, it is, yeah, it is something that are induced by the, those objects in the mind. Uh, it was uh, the word that I heard. Our, I couldn't. There was one word I couldn't catch. It was what that. Repeat that sentence, please. That external those, object. Yeah. yeah, the 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 those things that are triggered by those objects that we see in our minds in our mind. Hmm. Did I express that well? Yeah, yeah. Clear. Yes. That's that's is the causes or direct causes of our happiness and distress. That makes yes, I, I like that a lot. I was just read a, I just read something recently. I don't know if I can find it really quickly, um, but uh, basically, what it said is it's not the. Um, it's not the material world that is bad. It's our desire to enjoy it. Right. Yeah. Right. Same spirit. Yeah. Yes. And I think, uh, yes, uh, David, that is the, uh, that is the right one. Condition, limitation, determination, qualification. It can also be, uh, um, yeah, uh, identification. Yeah. Even have the Sanskrit there. Very good. <laughs> Yeah, Prabhupada would translate it as designation. Um, but, it, you know, it's often words can, you know, be defined in different ways, but we understand because the, the verse goes, Sarva pad upadi vinir muktam tat parat vena nirmalam rishikena rishikesha sevanam bhaktir uchate that sarva, all the different upadis need to be uh, purified or 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 relinquish. Sarvapati. Tatparat vena nirmalam, cleansed. And uh, and and how to do that? Vrishikena, uh, vrishikeshas. Using our senses in service of Krishna, instead of our senses in sense enjoyment. Thank you for that, Nandimuki. Anything else? You know, as you said, that uh, definition just now about the the world in itself is not bad, but the desire to enjoy it. I was thinking of that's uh, of the the defense that people use or the NRA uses about guns. Guns are not in themselves bad, but the you know the people bring their <laughs> desire to kill. Yeah, I'm not sure. If, uh, I have to think if that's analogous, but uh, interesting. Um, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, a gun, you know, Prabhupada used the example of a knife, right? That knife can be used to hurt somebody or it can be used by an expert surgeon to, uh, to save somebody. Um, 
I guess some people could argue that guns are used to save people sometimes, and I'm not. We won't. Need, we don't need to get into that discussion here. Um, but yeah, you could say that you know a gun can be used to protect innocent people, or a gun can be used to harm innocent people. Yeah, no. I'm certainly not arguing on either side of that. Right, yeah, no, there's no need to. <laughs> okay, so let's go on. We're going up to um, verse 46, so 42. The 10 kinds of air acting within the body are compared to the spokes of the chariot's wheels. So there's different, uh, yeah, pranas or air going through the body. Um, and the top and bottom of the wheel itself are called religion and irreligion. The living entity in the bodily concept of life is the owner of the chariot. The Vedic mantra pranava, or om, is the bow. The pure living entity is the arrow. And the target is the supreme being. So that's a beautiful um, analogy at the end of that translation. The... Uh, yeah, the uh, we are the arrow and the Hare Krishna mantra or here the pranava uh, is the bow and the target is Krishna. Not to hurt him, obviously. <laughs> 43 and 44. In the conditioned state, one's conceptions of life are sometimes polluted by passion and ignorance. Sometimes? <laughs> Which are exhibited by attachment hostility, greed, lamentation, illusion, fear, madness, false prestige, insults, fault-finding, deception, envy, intolerance, passion, bewilderment, hunger, and sleep. All of these are enemies. Sometimes one's conceptions are also polluted by goodness. Interesting. Although we would, if we had to be polluted, better to be polluted by goodness than the passion. As long as one has to accept a material body, with its different parts and paraphernalia, which are not fully under one's control, one must have the lotus feet of his superiors, namely his spiritual master and the spiritual master's predecessors. By their mercy, one can sharpen the sword of knowledge, and with the power of the Supreme Personality of Godhead's mercy, one can then conquer the enemies mentioned above. In, other, in this way, the devotee should be able to merge into his own transcendental bliss, and then he may give up his body and resume his spiritual identity. So that's 46. So we heard, we just read about the great, in 45, the great weapon of bhakti. That's what we just read, and now in 46. Other... Otherwise, if one does not take shelter of Achuta and Baladev, so Krishna and Balaram, uh, then the senses acting as the horses and the intelligence acting as the driver, both being prone to material contamination, inattentively bring the body, which acts as a chariot, to the path of sense gratification. When one is thus attached again by the robes of Vishaya, which is sense gratification, eating, sleeping, and mating. The horses and chariot are thrown into the blinding dark well of material existence, and one is again put into a dangerous and extremely fearful situation of repeated birth and death. So the last verse spoke 
uh, um, about the great weapon of bhakti, and 46, uh, the results of neglecting bhakti, neglecting the goal of life. And Prabhupada gives a very sweet, practical, um, he says, without the protection of Gornitai, who are non-different from Krishna and Balaram, uh, yes, uh, one cannot get out of the dark well of ignorance in material existence. This is indicated here by the word nochet, which means that one will always remain in the dark well of material existence. The living enemy must get strength from Nittai Gore or Krishna Balaram. Without the mercy of Nittai Gore, there is no way to come out of this dark well of ignorance. And, and that is, uh, yeah, Lord Chaitanya is the, um, the mercy avatar for Kali Yuga. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't get out of the well of ignorance with the, by the mercy of uh, Narayana or by the mercy of uh, Nishingadev. <laughs> Um, but the emphasis here is on uh, Nittai Gora. Hmm. Prabhupada writes at the end, this material world is a dark well of ignorance. The fallen soul in this dark well must take shelter of the lotus feet of Bornitai, for thus he can easily emerge from material existence. Without their strength, simply attempting to get out of the clutches of matter by speculative knowledge will be insufficient. So yes, by the Kiana process, which is what is said in the last uh, five words there, um, that does that does not give us the strength to get out of the clutches of matter. Hmm. But Gorni Taika, now somebody might say, what about Nishingadev or something like that? It reminded me a little bit of, uh, you know, um, is, it, uh, is it John 16, four of the uh, Bible? You know, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, life. And no one can go to the Father except through me. Which was true for, you know, this is our understanding of that statement. Now, obviously, some Christians would not uh, agree with this. That's, we accept that. But our understanding is, yes, that's absolutely right. It, for those people in that time, the only way was through Jesus. They didn't have, you know, the internet and could, you know, do a, take a comparative religion course. <laughs> he was he was the guru. He was a representative of God. Um, and so here, you know, it's all you know. Yes, of course, it's true, especially in Kali Yuga. Uh, yet that doesn't mean you know you can't you know you can't get mercy from Lord Narayan or from Narottamadas Thakur or from Bhakti. You know what I mean? It's he's it's just. Um, um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of make that point, but uh, but but of course, uh, as is said here, man, uh, the verse from the uh, second verse of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, Vande um, Shri Krishna Chaitanya Nityanando Sahodito Gorodhaya Pushpan Vanto Chiro Santo Tamo Nudho. I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Krishna Chaitanya Lord Nityananda, who are like the sun and moon. They have arisen simultaneously on the horizon of Goda to dissipate the darkness of ignorance and thus wonderfully bestow benediction. So we want to get the mercy uh, of them and that will give us the strength to be Krishna conscious. So we get their mercy by chanting Hare Krishna, by hearing uh, 
Srimad Bhagavatam and by sharing Krishna consciousness with people as much as we can. Any thoughts, comments, questions on getting the mercy of Gornita? You're on mute if you're saying something, Andy. Oh, I really yeah. love that prayer, that short prayer from the Chaitanya Chamrita. Yeah, beautiful, yes. But he was not getting the mercy. He was actually giving the mercy. Because when you write down or speak it out loud, you're giving the mercy also. Right? <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. the way to do it. How many times have we heard that that sentence? I I, I offer my humble obeisances. Obeisances. Well, since right. I was a beginner, I said, "What the heck really are obeisances?" Well, that <laughs> showed that showed right there. In other words, he's showing the realization right after he says, "I offer." He's showing the realization. So that's the way to offer obe obeisances. Yes. If you're going to speak it out loud or, or write it down, I, I was really impressed. Yeah. yeah. And this is the Mangalacharna for this book, the beginning prayers. Uh, there's 14 of them, um, and they make up uh, many of the subsequent chapters. Each, each verse is discussed at some length, um, or many of them are at least. much. Yeah. Um, so this is the very second verse of the whole book. <laughs> And it's, it's an amazing, incredible book. Yeah. Other thoughts on getting the mercy of Nittai and Gora? Hi, Krishna. Yes, um, I've been mulling over. I don't know exactly how to express this, but I'll give it a shot. The, um, the uh, uh, idea of taking shelter of the lotus feet Mm -hmm. that that means and we all we all know what that means it means that the uh instructions that are given in the shastras are to be taken as uh absolute and our intelligence is meant to be strong enough to accept that that's and for for a neophyte um that's a very tall order to uh, to always or to expect that one's intelligence will always be in the position of uh, surrendering to the instructions in the shastra or to uh, in in more real uh, real life circumstances if one's living at a temple or associating with devotees then one's is uh, surrendering to those instructions and i have nothing i'm not i hope i'm not coming across as being against that that's not my point at all just that it's um it's a tall order and i guess for me along with that tall order comes the expectation that oh if i'm uh, if if i'm following like you mentioned uh chanting, attending Bhagavatam class, morning kirtan, um, that, that there's a expectation and it's, it's unjustified because it's a neophyte expectation that, well, if I'm doing this, you know, Krishna, you're going to, you're going to protect me from, you're going to guide, you know, like actually physically you know, prevent me from doing stuff that can uh, uh, keep me bound or, or, you know, make me fall back again into the 
whole of material existence. Um, and then, you know, uh, if that if that doesn't happen, or if my neophyte expectations are are not met, then that's grounds for um, for weakening of uh, faith because I'm going to stop there because I, I anything further won't make sense. Well, um, you, well, you said a lot of things. So. Yeah, I did. Um, they, uh, I was just trying to remember another lecture that I heard from Bhakti Vigyanmar. It was really nice. Um, it was entitled, I can't find it right. Uh, oh, Crisis of Faith. Um, and he talks about... Um, Again, I, I'll put the, I'll put it in the chat. Um, there you go. Um, he he defines the word crisis uh, from the origin. I can't remember if it's Latin or Greek. I think it was Greek, but I can't remember. Uh, that crisis means juncture, not like terrible, but choice. Uh, and so he goes through the nine. Well, the First four or five stages of bhakti, adoshradha. Beginning, there's a little faith, a little trust, then sadhu sangha, um, anartha kriya, then anartha nivriti, then nishta. And it was I found it really very interesting um, how he talks about uh, sadhu sangha that the the the, the test at sadhu sangha is um, is an important surrender. And he gives you a beautiful example of Krishna in the second, of the Bhagavad Gita, the second chapter, verse seven, where Arjuna says, uh, that I am your disciple and a soul surrender unto you, please instruct me. And then two verses later in verse nine, after he says, I surrender, he says, I'm not gonna fight. <laughs> So I never thought of it like that, that, uh, that for those verses in that connection. Um, but, uh, but anyway, he talks about how each, in each step, there's a juncture um, that we, to make uh, advancement. And, and he said that for that, for that for, was Arjuna, that he, he said he surrendered, but you know, we, we surrender with two minds. Yes, I know I really should, but I don't really, you know, can I, can't I? That kind of hridaya durbalyam, that weakness of heart, where we know what we're supposed to do, and we don't do it, <laughs> that one. I think we're, yeah. probably many of us are familiar with that. Um, so, but the, the you know, we, a devotee, you may be in this situation, that situation, living in this temple or that temple, or, or living at home or living with their parents or whatever they're doing. Um, the, ultimately, the uh, surrender is to, to Krishna through his devotees um, and getting out of the habit of turning our back to Krishna. <laughs> so that existentially, that's the challenge, right? That we, you know, Krishna buli sejiv, anadhir bahirmu, that we've turned our back on Krishna. And so we have to again turn towards him.
and that may manifest differently, you know, depending on where we live and this and that, but the, the, the principle is there regardless. Okay, uh, anything else on the mercy of Gordon Itai? Then I'll do one thing before we go on, just to inspire you a little bit. There you go. Can you see that? Oh, wonderful. Yeah, beautiful, huh? So for those who are listening on the recording, uh, the uh, picture of Lord Chaitanya and Lord Nityananda in uh, Washington, D.C. Okay, so moving right along, uh, the next verse that we're going up to is 52. According to the Vedas, there are two kinds of activities, pravritti and nivritti. Pravritti activities involve raising oneself from a lower to a higher condition of materialistic life, whereas nivritti means the cessation of material desire. Through pravritti activities, one suffers from material entanglement, but by nivritti activities, one is purified and becomes fit to enjoy eternal, blissful life. The ritualistic ceremonies and sacrifices, now this is describing nivritti, uh, pravritti, the ritualistic ceremonies and sacrifices known as Agnihotra Yagna, Darsha Yagna, uh, Purnamas Yagna, uh, Chaturmasya Yagna, Pasu Yagna, and Soma Yagna are all symptomized by the killing of animals and the burning of many valuables, especially food grains, all for the fulfillment of material desires and the creation of anxiety. Performing such sacrifices, worshiping Vaishvadeva and Performing the ceremony of Baliharana, which all supposedly constitute the goal of life, supposedly, as well as constructing temples for demigods, building resting homes and gardens, digging wells for the distribution of water, establishing booths for the distribution of food, and performing activities for public welfare. These are all symptomized by attachment to material desires. Now, these are elevating material desires, right? Feeding the poor and giving water to people who don't have but they're still in the realm of matter. My dear King Yudhisthira, when oblations of ghee and food grains like barley and sesame are offered in sacrifice, they turn into celestial smoke, which carries one to successfully higher planetary systems like the kingdom of uh, Duma, Ratri, Krishnapaksha, Dakshinam, and ultimately the moon. Then, however, the performers of sacrifice descend again to earth to become herbs, creepers, vegetables, and food grains. Uh, that's the process of karma. When, when we return to earth um, from the heavenly planets, um, it's a whole discussion, but the return uh, in the form of rain, the rain uh, nourishes the grains, the grains get fed, uh, eaten by human beings, turn into semina, and one takes another human birth. These are eaten by different living entities and there we are and turned to semen, which is injected into female bodies. Thus one takes birth again and again. So then 52, a twice born Pramana, Dvija, gains his life by the grace of his parents through the process of purification known as Garbhadhana. That's the uh, yagna um, when trying to conceive a child and Prabhupada made it very simple for devotees instead of all these fire sacrifices and this and that, um, chant at least 50 rounds. 
There are also other processes of purification until the end of life when the funeral ceremony, Ant Yeshti Kriya, is performed. Thus, in due course, a qualified Brahmana becomes uninterested in materialistic activities and sacrifices, but he offers the sensual sacrifices and full knowledge into the working senses, which are illuminated by the fire of knowledge. So, in the purport, Prabhupada writes that those who are not Brahmanas but atheists do not know what is pravritti mark or nivritti. So, they don't know anything about that, right? They don't know the, the path to the heavenly planets or the path back to Godhead. They simply want to obtain pleasure at any cost. Our Krishna conscious movement is therefore training devotees to give up the pravritti marg and accept the nivritti marg in order to return home back to Godhead. This is a little difficult to understand, but it is very easy if one takes the Krishna consciousness seriously and tries to understand Krishna. A Krishna conscious person can understand that performing yagna uh, according to the karmakanda system is a useless waste of time, and that merely giving up the karmakanda and accepting the process of speculation, which is jnana, is also unfruitful. Therefore, Narottama Das Thakur has sung in the Prema Bhakti Chandrika, Karma Kanda, Jnana Kanda, Kevala Vishera Bhanda, Amrita Bhaliya Yeva Kaya, Nana Yoni Sada Pire, um, Kardariya Bhakshana Kare, Tara Jnana Adhapate Yaya. A life of Karma Kanda or Jnana Kanda is like a poison pot. And one who takes to such a life is doomed. <laughs> in the Karmakanda system, one is destined to accept birth and death again and again. Similarly, with Ganakanda, one falls down again to the material world. Only worship of the Supreme Person offers one the safety of going back together. So this is a theme that we've heard for the last seven cantos in Prabhupada's purports. The, um, the diff, the, most people, of course, in the world today, they're, um, they're just trying to search for sense gratification without, well, not all the people, but um, without any regard to something like Pravriti Mark, where you do sacrifices to get a, a heavenly birth, or um, you perform so many austerities like the Gani um, to um, reach Brahman. And both of those are thoroughly rejected what to speak of sense gratification by, by the devotee. Okay, and then we'll read 53 and then see if you have any comments or questions. 53, the mind is always agitated by waves of, accept, of acceptance and rejection. Right? So, you know, you, um, I, let's say for your average person, they, I don't know, they, um, these, they, I, I'm trying to think of something that's still practical. I was going to say you, you look at uh, what's on television and you uh, and you say, oh, no, rejection, there's nothing good on. But in these days, you can still go to Netflix and try to find something, right? Or, yeah, there's nothing on Flex, Netflix. All those 100,000 movies are all useless. Or you accept, oh, my God, there's three different things on. I really want to watch them all. Um, TiVo, some of them, or whatever, right? So, but the mind is always doing that. You know, can't wait to have this... Um, um, strawberry shortcake, then all oh, the strawberries went bad, you know, so always kind of like, I accept this, I want that, reject this, and the mind is doing that constantly, 
constantly, oh, the, today's class was a good one. No, today's was kind of boring, you know. It's constantly making judgments of other people, making and, and sometimes even worse, making judgments about ourselves and going back and forth on accepting and rejection. Therefore, all the activities of the senses should be offered into the mind which should be offered into one's words. Then one's words should be offered into the aggregate of all alphabets, which should be offered into the concise form omkara, omkara. Omkara should be offered into the point bindu and bindu into the vibration of sound and that vibration into the life air. Then the living entity who is all that remains should be placed in Brahman, the supreme this is the process of sacrifice. So again, this is this is the Guiana system. It's not the Bhakti system. Uh, let me just look at my Yes, Prabhu. So uh, before also we discussed about this um, sense, sense and sense objects um, and attraction um, uh, upadis. Um, so I was contemplating on this particular area. The like and dislike is the starting point of all the upadis because anything you like, you basically attracted, you want to own it or you want to associate with or whatever that like it is something. It starts, that that's my realization. It starts from there. So in bhakti, how we can say that like and don't like uh, to overcome that. Of course, right. like devotional service is a like thing. We can keep on uh, focusing on that, but uh, uh, some because of the contamination or conditioned soul, uh, we do. I do have like attractions to other many other things. Right. So you brought up two points. So let's. I hope I can remember the second one, but let's do the first one first. Um, it might be the way you are looking at it. I usually look at it the other way. That based on our upadi, we like and dislike things. Right. So if I'm Palestinian, I have a tendency to dislike anything Israeli just reject, uh, you know, without even uh, considering, not everyone, not every Palestinian is like that, of course, but you know what I mean. Or, you know, if I'm a Cowboy fan, I reject everything about the Washington football team. Or if I'm, uh, if I'm a, you know, now that things have changed in, in years, but if I'm a man, I'm a, I, re, I accept a beautiful woman's body and I reject other men's body, you know, like that, and so it's. I, I also see rejection and acceptance and rejection uh, very much based on our upadi. Right, right. Um, I I like classical music. Oh, I reject uh, uh, rock and roll. Right, because my upad, my my designation is a classical musician or something like that, you know, or heavy metal rock or whatever it is. So. I think both, I, I, I'm going to think about what you said, because you're, you're, and they may be, you can see it both ways, but that, that's the way I see it. Now, the second point was, um, remind me. So uh, in the Jnana Yoga, you mentioned that uh, the like and dislike is the starting point. Um, but uh, in bhakti, how we can able to determine, oh. but like you explained to me, like Upadi is much behind. Yeah. Got it. Yes. Well, actually the Gani is trying to go beyond acceptance and rejection. That's kind of what's intimated here in this purport that, um, so, so because the mind is always agitated, 
all the activities centers should be offered to the mind, the mind, and then mind, and you know, um, the from gross to subtle, the oh, I'm not the gross, um, not sure if it's gross to subtle, but you know, uh, rejection of the mind's agitation is part of the Gannett process. So it's more like the karma process where the mind is always agitated. So it's very easy in one, I mean, it's, it's easy to say in a class, it's hard to do, but it's easy that we accept things that are um, pleasing to Krishna and re reject things that are not pleasing to Krishna. And that's how the devotee uses the acceptance and the rejection. It's that same point that we've made a few times, right? About, you know, Hegel's uh, thesis, antithesis, synthesis, that the, the the um, the karm the karmi um, is the thesis that um, minds accepting and rejecting according to our bodies. The gani rejects that and says no no um, acceptance and rejection. The devotee combines the two. It says yes, exception and rejection, but for the pleasure of Krishna, not for uh, our personal enjoyment. Thank you, Prabhu. Okay, yeah. So let's read this purport. the first part anyway. The mind is always agitated by acceptance and rejection, which is compared to mental waves that are constantly tossing. The living entity is floating in the waves of material existence because of his forgetfulness. Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur is therefore sung in his Gitavali. Miche maya vase yache beshe kachubhabudhubu pai. My dear mind, under the influence of Maya, you are being carried away by the waves of rejection and exception, acceptance. Simply take shelter of Krishna. Jiva Krishna Dasa, E Vishwasa, Karle Na Ta Ardukunai. If we simply regard the lotus feet of Krishna as our ultimate shelter, we shall be saved from all these waves of Maya, which are variously exhibited as mental and sensual activities and the agitation of exception and rejection, rejection and acceptance. That first lecture that I posted by Dr. Vigenmars goes into you know great detail about this, that the mind needs to become peaceful, like the Gani, but then add bhakti, peaceful and uh, fixed at Krishna's lotus feet. And otherwise we we actually think the we think that the pinball mind is, is actual enjoyment because we don't taste the enjoyment of sattva guna and Krishna consciousness because we don't taste that. It's very experiential because we don't taste that. We think that these the much, much lower uses of the mind we think is, is, is nice. Um, and that's why when it was, well, that's one reason why, you know, when, when we hear again and again, there's no enjoyment in the material world. It's, it's yes, if you, if you do an analytical study and you see that everything ends in death, disease, and old age, yes, that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it, in addition, is what does real enjoyment feel like? What does it taste like? What is the reality of real enjoyment? And this is something that Maharaj talks about very much in. Uh, and he says when, we, when we, we, we get a glimpse of it sometimes in a kirtan or, or different you know, ways when we're just absorbed in Krishna, 
And we sometimes think it's like alien, like what is that? But that is actually what we're meant to experience on a regular basis. But passion and ignorance are really strong, really strong. Any other questions or comments? Okay. Now we're going into, let me just look at my notes for a second here. Um, we're going into a, uh, a little bit of a philosophical uh, area for the next uh, few verses. And we will we'll read through uh, them, and I think we'll stop at 57, is that right? 58, yeah. Read some of that purport and try to make some general comments that will cover um, verses um, 57 up to 65, basically. And where it talks, these, these are talking about how eternal reality is, is behind the material illusion. The, the, this, this world is real, but it's temporary. And the, the existence of it is a reflection of reality, of the reality of the spiritual world. That's the basic idea. Although it goes into some pretty philosophical points here. Okay, so that was... 53, right? Yes. Okay, so 54. On his path of ascent, the progressive living entity enters the different worlds of fire, the sun, the day, the end of the day, the bright fortnight, the full moon, and the passing of the sun in the north, along with their presiding demigods. This is the uh, path up to the higher planets that the Gani can achieve. When he enters Brahmaloka, he enjoys life for many millions of years, and finally his material designation comes to an end. He then comes to a subtle designation from which he attains the causal designation, witnessing all previous states. Upon the annihilation of this causal state, he attains his pure state in which he identifies with the supersoul. In this way, the living being becomes transcendental. This gradual process of elevation for self-realization is meant for those who are truly aware of the absolute truth. After repeated birth on this path, which is known as Devayana, one attains these consecutive stages. One who is completely free from all material desires being situated in the self need not traverse the path of repeated birth and death. Even though situated in the material body, one who is fully aware of the paths known as Pitriyani and Devayani and who thus opens his eyes in terms of Vedic knowledge is never bewildered in this material world. He who exists internally and externally at the beginning and end of everything and of all living beings is that which is enjoyable and as the enjoyer of everything, superior and inferior is the supreme truth. He always exists as knowledge and the object of knowledge as expression and the object of understanding as darkness and as light. Thus he, the Supreme Lord, is everything. And then 58. Although one may consider the reflection of the sun from a mirror to be false, it has its actual existence. Accordingly, to prove by uh, speculative knowledge that there is no reality would be extremely difficult. So, um, 58. Okay, so 
um, Prabhupada writes that the, let me just get it here. The impersonalists try to prove that the varieties in the vision of the empiric philosopher are false. Okay, so that's what that the, the all the varieties that we see with our eyes, it's all false. The impersonal philosophy, Vivartavada, generally cites the acceptance of a rope to be a snake as an example of this fact. According to this example, the varieties within our vision are false, just as a rope seen to be a snake is false. Okay, that's pretty straightforward, right? But the, the Vaishnavas say, however, that although the idea of the rope is a snake is false, the snake is not false. One has experience of a snake in reality, and therefore he knows that although the representation of the rope as a snake is false or illusory, there is a snake in reality. Similarly, this world, which is full of varieties, is not false. It's a reflection of the reality in the Vaikuntha world, the spiritual world. Okay, so, so far, any questions or comments on that? This is trying to defeat Mayavad philosophy. Okay, then we can continue. <clears throat> Let's see where we the, re, uh, the reflection of the sun from a mirror is nothing but light within darkness. Thus, although it is not exactly sunlight, without the sunlight, the reflection would be impossible. Similarly, the varieties of this world would be impossible unless there were a real prototype in the spiritual world. The Mayavadi philosopher cannot understand this, but a real philosopher... <laughs> must be convinced that light is not possible at all without a background of sunlight. Thus, the jugglery of words used by the Mayavadi philosopher to prove that this material world is false may amaze inexperienced children, but a man with full knowledge knows perfectly well that there it cannot be any existence without Krishna. Therefore, a Vaishnava insists on the platform of somehow or other accepting Krishna. Prabhupada then writes, when we raise our unmixed faith to the lotus feet of Krishna, everything is revealed. A little later, simply by raising one's staunch faith in Krishna and his instructions, one can understand reality without a doubt. One can understand how Krishna's material and spiritual energies are working and how he is present everywhere, although everything is not him. This philosophy of achintya beda, beda, Inconceivable oneness and difference is the perfect philosophy enunciated by the Vaishnavas. Everything is an emanation from Krishna, but it is not that everything must therefore be worshipped. Speculative knowledge cannot give us reality as it is, but will continue to be nefariously imperfect. <laughs> nefariously imperfect. So this is a, a deep points that are being made here. Um, and we're just summarizing all those verses that um, came before it here by focusing on this verse, that um, while this world is temporary and therefore false, it is such a, it can be a, a great inspiration for us to see that, to know that there's a reflection in the spiritual world. And <laughs> I know how inconceivable it can be to our tiny brains, but 
you know, as we're talking right now, all the Vaikuntha planets, Goloka, Vrindavan, Krishna with the gopis, all these things are going on in innumerable planets, innumerable planets in the spiritual world. There's innumerable planets in the material world, and the material world is sometimes compared to one-fourth of the spiritual world. So all these things are going on way beyond our perception. And, and you know, we're thinking, well, what's the weather going to be like tonight? Uh, but there's this incredible reality uh, going on that we are, we're giving some um, glimpse into it by the Shastra. But there are very cool activities going on beyond, um, you know, what you read in the newspaper. And therefore, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur said that there could be a newspaper uh, every minute about the activities in the spiritual world. Okay, any comments, questions on this? Uh, yeah, I have to admit, it always amuses me how Prabhupada rails against the Mayavadis. But the serious <laughs> side, he thinks it's a really dangerous philosophical thing to take up. He thinks it's really bad news if you believe that. So that's why he does it. But yes. I think everybody's working on the same problem, even scientists, Mayavadis. It's that life seems absurd, right? <laughs> the way it happens. It just, it's absurd. And I mean, nature could answer when you ask it, well, why do you have this law or something? But it, it, nature never says anything, right? So that's kind right. of absurd. So the... The danger is the false solution to the absurdity, right? Uh, so if you're a Mayavadi, then Prabhupada says that is a false solution, right? That's a very nice way to put it. Yeah, a yeah. false solution. You're looking for the truth and you come. Yeah. And, and, you know, he does make a distinction between Mayavadi and impersonal. Impersonalists, uh, Mayavadis are because they ultimately are offenders to Krishna because they reject. They think, they think well, I have a material body. Krishna must have one also. Impersonalists accept Krishna's body as eternal and blissful and all that, but somehow or other, they're more attracted to the impersonal feature. But they don't offend Krishna. And this world is very, very, very um, contaminated by Mayavad philosophy in, in, in so many different faiths and practices, not just, you know, guys wearing tilak going this way across the forehead in Benares. Now, there, there's a beautiful, um, if you go to um, vihe.org, and then you click on audio lectures, and you go down to Ravindra Swaruprabhu, he has a beautiful 24-part um, lecture series on called Defeating Mayavad Philosophy. And he, he, he points out Mayavad in all traditions, not just, uh, um, not just uh, our Vedic one, because he was, he was a PhD in theology from University of Pennsylvania. Okay, anything else? Then let us carry on. We're going up to 68. We're reading quite a few verses now. In this world, there are five, so this is still continuing this, this GAN. In this world, there are five elements, namely earth, water, fire, air, and ether. But the body is not a reflection of them nor a combination or transformation of them because the body and its ingredients are neither distinct nor amalgamated, uh, amalgamated 
All such theories are insubstantial. So if you just say this body is made of earth, water, fire, air, ether, um, uh, that's not enough because how did it all come together, right? And um, a forest, Prabhupada writes, a forest is certainly a transformation of the earth, but one tree does not depend on another tree. If one is cut down, this does not mean that the other are cut down. Therefore, the forest is neither a combination nor a transformation of the trees. We could get into that more, but we are going to sally forth. Because the body is formed of the five elements, it cannot exist without the subtle sense objects. Therefore, since the body is false, the sense objects are also naturally false or temporary, especially temporary. Uh, when a substance and its parts are separated, the acceptance of similarity between one and the other is called delusion. While dreaming, one creates a separation between the existences called wakefulness and sleep. It is in such a state of mind that the regulated principles of the scriptures consisting of injunctions and prohibitions are recommended. So that's the way out of this is to follow Shastra. Um, after considering the oneness of existence, activity, and paraphernalia, and after realizing the self to be different from all actions and reactions, the mental speculator, the Muni, according to his own realization, gives up the three states of wakefulness, dreaming, and sleep. That's explained more in the next verses. When one understands that result, understands that result and cause are one, and that duality is ultimately unreal, like the idea that the threads of a cloth are different from the cloth itself, one reaches the conception of one is called bhava dvaita. My dear Yudhisthira, when all the activities one performs with his mind, words, and body are dedicated directly to the service of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, one reaches oneness in activities called Kriya Dvaita. And Prabhupada writes in the purport, if whatever we do, whatever we eat, whatever we think, and whatever we plan is for the advancement of the Krishna consciousness movement, this is oneness. There's no difference between chanting for Krishna consciousness and working for Krishna consciousness. On the transcendental platform, they are one. But we must be guided by the spiritual master about this oneness. We should not manufacture our own oneness. When the ultimate goal and interest of oneself, one's wife, one's children, one's relatives, and all other uh, embodied living beings is one. This is called dravya dvaita, or oneness of interest. Hmm. And in this verse, if I'm not mistaken, let me just check my note. Yes. So, um, hmm. so you could say that in one sense, yes. Yeah, so this verse is uh, saying that you know, answering the question that Yudhisthira was asking previously, that you know. I'm just a grihasta. Can, can I do anything to become Christian conscious? And here is somewhat of an answer to that, right? That um, if one uses, uh, if one invests oneself, wife, children, to be all in service to Krishna, then that is oneness of interest. 66. In normal conditions, in the absence of danger, O King Yudhisthira, a man should perform. Now he's going, now he's going, uh, it's a change of subject here. And we're summarizing, we're hearing a summary in the next three verses of the ashram duties. <clears throat> in normal conditions, in the absence of danger, O King Yudhisthira, a man should perform his prescribed activities according to his status of life with the things, endeavors, processes, and living place that are not forbidden for him and not by any other means. So a married person should 
be situated this way, a brahmachari in that way, etc. O king, one should perform his occupational duties according to these instructions, as well as other instructions given in the Vedic literature, just to remain a devotee of Lord Krishna. Thus, even while at home, one will be able to reach the destination. So there is a direct answer to um, the point that, because in back in um, chapter 14, Yudhisthira asked Narada how even Grihasas who are not renunciants and have no knowledge of the ultimate goal of life could attain liberation. And here's uh, Narada's answer <clears throat> in this verse. And then 68, O King Yudhisthira, because of your service to the Supreme Lord, all of you Pandavas defeated the greatest dangers posed by numerous kings and demigods. By serving Lord the lotus feet of Krishna, you conquered great enemies who were like elephants, and thus you collected ingredients for sacrifice. By his grace, may you be delivered from material involvement. That was 68. Let me see if I had anything on that. No. Okay. Oh, purport. Narada Muni encouraged Maharaj Yudhisthira by saying, you are already on the safe side because you, along with your entire family, your Vihasta, have become a pure devotee of Krishna. By Krishna's grace, the Pandavas conquered in the battle of Prukshetra and were saved from many dangers posed not only by kings, but sometimes even by the demigods. Thus, they are a practical example of how to live in security and safety by the grace of Krishna. Everyone should follow the example of the Pandavas who showed how to be saved by the grace of Krishna. Our Krishna conscious movement is intended to teach how everyone can live peacefully in this material world and at the end of life, return home back to Godhead. In the material world, there are many, there are always dangers at every step. Padam, padam, yadi, padam, natesham. Nonetheless, if one takes shelter of Krishna without hesitation and keeps under the shelter of Krishna, he can easily cross the ocean of nescience. Samasrita ye para pallava plavam mahapadam punya yashomurare. To the devotee, this great ocean of nescience becomes like a puddle of water in the hoofprint of a cow. A pure devotee, without embarrassing himself by trying for elevation in so many ways, things that we heard in previous verses, stays in the safest position as a servant of Krishna, and thus his life is eternally safe without a doubt. I just thought that was such a Blissful purport. Very sweet. So, we've, I don't know if we'll finish the canto today, possibly. Um, any questions or comments on so many verses that I just read? Well, this last one, there's a very nice idea of uh, when you defeat your enemies, you it's like, like collecting... Uh, articles for sacrifice. Uh, I thought that was wonderful. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Okay, shall we carry on then? 69. Uh, let me just see what we're doing here. So 69 to 74 uh, emphasize the um, highest fortune of associating with devotees. And it begins by Narada Muni telling his his, um, more of his story, we heard way back in the first canto, um, where these verses end, uh, we hear the beginning in the first canto, but prior to that, long, long ago, in another Maha Kalpa, that means a long time ago, 
millennium of Brahma, I existed as the Gandharva known as Upaparana. I was very respected by the under, other Gandharvas. I had a beautiful face and a pleasing, attractive bodily structure. Decorated with flower garlands and sandalwood pulp, I was most pleasing to the women of my city. Thus, I was bewildered, always feeling lusty desires. Once there was a Sankirtan festival to glorify the Supreme Lord in an assembly of demigods. And the Kandarvas and Apsaras were invited by the Prajapatis to take part in it. Nardamoni continued, being invited to that festival, I also joined and surrounded by women, I began musically singing the glories of the demigods instead of Krishna, the glories of the demigods. Because of this, the Prajapatis, the great demigods in charge of the affairs of the universe forcibly cursed me with these words, because you have committed an offense, may you immediately become a sudra devoid of beauty. Although I took birth as a sudra from the womb of a maidservant, I engaged in the service of Vaishnavas who were well-versed in Vedic knowledge. Consequently, in this life, I got the opportunity to take birth as a son of Brahma. So that's where we hear, uh, I can't remember if it's chapter four or five, of the first canto, that we, uh, that we hear this uh, all about how he was serving the Bhakti Vedantas and took their Mahaprasadam one time. And that gave him the great um, purification. 74. The process of chanting the holy name of the Lord is so powerful. So now, let me again look at my notes. Yes, yeah, so now this is the conclusion of the whole discussion of Varnashrama, this verse. The process of chanting the holy name of the Lord is so powerful that by this chanting, even householders, Grihastas, can very easily gain the ultimate result achieved by persons in the renounced order. So the same goal as the sannyasis. Maharaj Yudhisthira, I have now explained to you that process of religion. So now we hear about the fortune of Maharaj Yudhisthira and the Pandavas, the last verses of this canto. My dear King Yudhisthira, you Pandavas are so very fortunate in this world that many, many great saints who can purify all the planets of the universe come to your house just like ordinary visitors. Furthermore, the Supreme Personality of God at Krishna is living confidentially with you uh, in your house, just like your brother. Report. Here is a statement exalting a Vaishnava. In human society, a Brahmin is the most respected person. A Brahmin is one who can understand Brahman, the impersonal Brahman, but hardly ever can one understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead who is described by Arjuna in Bhagavad Gita as Param Brahma. A Brahmana may be extremely fortunate in having achieved Brahmagyan, but the Pandavas were so exalted that the Parabrahman, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, was living in their house like an ordinary human being. The word Bhuti Bhaga uh, indicates that the Pandavas were in a still higher position than Brahmacharyas and Brahmanas. In the following verses, Nardamuni repeatedly glorifies the position of the Pandavas. So again, in so many places, Prabhupada is giving the, the distinction between Brahmanas and Vaishnavas. 76. How wonderful it is that the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the Parabrahman Krishna, who is sought by great, great sages for the sake of liberation and transcendental bliss, is acting as your best well-wisher, your friend, your cousin, your heart and soul, your worshipable director, and your spiritual master. So he's saying, you're way beyond Brahmanas and and sadhus and rishis, you're way beyond that, even though you're a grihasta. 
Present here now is that is the same supreme personality of Godhead, whose true form cannot be understood even by such great personalities as Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva. He is realized by devotees because of their unflinching surrender. May that same personality of Godhead, who is the maintainer of his devotees and who is worshipped by his silence, by devotional service, and by cessation of material activities, be pleased upon me. Sukadev Goswami said, Maharaj Yudhishthir, the best member of the Bharata dynasty, thus learned everything from the description of Nardamuni. After hearing these instructions, he felt great pleasure from within his heart and in great ecstasy and love and affection, he worshipped Lord Krishna. Narada Muni being worshipped by Krishna and, Mar and Maharaj Yudhisthir bade them farewell and went away. Yudhisthir Maharaj, having heard that Krishna, his cousin, is the supreme personality of God, was struck with wonder. Report. After hearing the conversation between Narada and Yudhisthir, if one still has any doubts about Krishna's being the supreme personality of God, one should immediately give them up. Ashang Shayam Samagram. Without any doubt, that's from the Bhagavad Gita, Without any doubt and without any defect, one should understand Krishna to be the supreme personality of Godhead and thus surrender at his lotus feet. Ordinary persons do not do this, even after hearing all the Vedas. But if one is fortunate, although it may be even after many, many births, he comes to this conclusion, Bahunam Jamanam Ante Gyanavam Mam Prapadjit. Okay, and finally, the last verse of this canto on all the planets within this universe, the varieties of living entities, moving and non-moving, including the demigods, demons, and human beings, were all generated by the daughters of Maharaj Daksha. I have now described them and their different dynasties. So that's um, kind of cool. So what he's doing there is uh, um, he's going back to <laughs> Canto 6, Chapter 6, verse number 1, where um, it is said, On all the planets within this universe, the varieties of living entities, moving and non-moving, including the demigods, demons, and human beings, were all generated from the daughters of Maharaj Daksha. I have now, oh no, well, that's what I just read. Wait, wait, wait. Now that's what he's doing is he's referring back to 661. Let me see if I can find that real quick. Sorry, six. Oh yeah, here we go. Um, Sukadeva Goswami said, my dear king, thereafter at the request of Lord Brahma, Prajapati Daksha, who was known as Prajetasa, he got 60 daughters in the womb of his wife, As Asikni. All the daughters were very affectionate towards their father. And so the rest, so in other words, for all these um, cantos, we're hearing about the offspring of these daughters. Okay, let me go back to this and the Bhaktivedanta purports of the seventh canto, 15th chapter of Srimad Bhagavatam entitled Instructions for Civilized Human Beings, completed on the night of Vaisakhi Sukla Ikadasi on the 10th of May, 1976, in the temple of the Panchatattva Nunavati Hanalulu, by the mercy of Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhara Sri Vasadi Gaurabhaktavinda, Thus, we may happily chant Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Hare. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Rama, 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 Rama. End of the seventh canto. So I know I kind of rushed through those last verses a bit. I wanted to finish the canto today. 
Any questions or comments, thoughts before we end for the day? This is very obvious. It's, it's very much like the end of the Gita. This end of the seventh canto. It, 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 it reads very much like the triumph of the uh, conversation. And it's wonderful. Nice. Anything else? So should we continue on to the eighth canto? No? <laughs> you mean now? We only have... Three, not now, three not now, no, no, no. I mean next week. <laughs> what would be the reason not to? No, no reason. Just <laughs> confirming. All right, then we will see you all um, in the new year. All right. Um, and uh, thank you. Hare Krishna. Thank, thank you very much, Prabhu. Thank you. Thank you.